I hope that your heart is filled with thankfulness as we meditate on these glorious truths and as we have the privilege to now come and hear from God. If you have a Bible, please open up to James 3, James 3, verse 13 to 18. Listen carefully now to the wise words of Jesus Christ. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift of your word. Lord, we ask that you will graciously expose any selfish ambition or bitter, bitter jealousy in our hearts. Lord, we ask now that you will show us the glory of your wisdom at the cross. Help us to humble ourselves under your word. Help us to receive it by faith and to trust in your ways with all our hearts. Lord, we ask that you teach us to walk in the meekness of Jesus Christ. We plead that you will show us the glory of your Son, and that you will produce a harvest of righteousness in and through us. Lord, we ask that your word would speed ahead in power and in love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, we live in what's called the information age. Knowledge about anything, any time, or any place is readily available to us at our fingertips. And yet, with all of this information and technology, we as a society seem to be more confused than ever. For instance, with one strand of hair you can know someone's skin color or their biological sex from their DNA. And let me, let me ask you, has there been a time when biology and gender identity was so confusing? Or what about the incredible advances in ultrasound technology? We can now see a baby yawning, sucking his or her thumb, 
rubbing his or her eyes and reaching for his or her toes at 20 weeks old in the womb. And yet what does the world say? The Atlantic magazine concludes that when people see their baby on an ultrasound, they may see humanizing qualities like smiles or claps, even when most scientists see random muscle movements. That's all it is, folks. It's just random muscle movements. No sign of life here in the womb, even when you can see it with your own eyes. Claiming to be wise, we as a society have become fools. But what about the church? Is the church any better than the world? We've never had more knowledge so easily available to us. Within a few clicks, you can hear some of the greatest sermons ever preached and access the best scholars and commentaries. We have book after book after book to help us rightly interpret the word and apply it to our lives. And yet, we see best-selling authors like Rick Warren ordaining women as pastors. Or we have megachurch pastors like Andy Stanley telling us that we need to unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament. More than that, it seems like there's a never-ending cycle, a new cycle of abuse, division, discord, and even confusion over the basic tenets of the faith. What about us? We at Grace Church know and teach right doctrine, but are our lives any different? Are we confused about our identity as Christians or our purpose in the world? And if we are, how do we see change in our lives? How do we see change in our church? And how do we see change throughout the world? What will bring revival to our weary souls and to the dying world around us? My friends, if you want to see God do mighty things in our midst, who in here does not want to see God do mighty things? Our greatest need is not more money, it's not more skill, it's not more ministries or better methods. No, my friends, the greatest need of the hour is more wisdom. We need God's wisdom from above. We need a wisdom that, yes, understands the gospel, but also a wisdom that applies the gospel to our daily lives. We need a wisdom that transforms our hearts into the very heart of Christ. A wisdom that when sowed in faith will change our lives and it will change the world. In James 3, verse 13 to 18, James is going to show us the measure of true wisdom that comes down from God. He's going to show us the measure of true wisdom that comes down from God. He's going to teach us how to recognize this true wisdom. He's going to teach us how to silence its counterfeit. And finally, he's going to teach us that true wisdom will reap a harvest of righteousness in and through our faith. 
So first, James teaches us that true wisdom is revealed in humility. True wisdom is revealed in humility. Let's look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, as James concludes his disposition on the tongue, he turns to the congregation and he asks the church and he asks us to examine our lives. Is there anyone in this room who is wise? Maybe some, some of you right now are thinking of a member or a pastor that comes to your mind. Or maybe others are thinking, yeah, I, I think I'm wise. I know the Bible well. I come every Friday and I serve every month. Surely James is talking about me. But just as soon as we might be settling this question in our minds and coming up with the answer, James immediately gives a qualification to help us in our evaluation. So look again at verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see, James here gives us two qualifications for wisdom. Good conduct and meekness. Good conduct and meekness. Friends, do you think that you are wise in understanding? Then show us your good works. Here James links wisdom and genuine faith. So we saw in James 2, verse 14 to 26, he tells us that faith produces works. Genuine faith produces works. And yet here, we're told that works reveal wisdom. Works reveal wisdom. So what's going on here? Well, I think if we turn to James 1, verse 2, we'll be able to get a better understanding of what he means. So turn with me to James 1, verse 2. Let's see what, how James links faith and wisdom. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, there it is, faith, produces steadfastness. So our faith is being tested by trials. We'll skip down to verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, reproach, and it will be given him. So what do we do when we lack wisdom? Notice, he doesn't say when we lack faith as we endure trials. He says, what do you do when you lack wisdom? We ask God. We pray. And God gives us the wisdom we need to endure in faith. You see, wisdom is a rightly informed faith that produces good works. Wisdom is a rightly informed faith in Christ that produces good works. So when we are fighting our sin, we need, to, we need wisdom to know how to apply the word, to trust the word, and to live out the word. 
Wisdom is the right understanding and the right application of God's word in every circumstance. And, and this actually is what James has been talking about this entire letter. This is what he's been after. He wants these battle-hardened Christians to know and apply God's wisdom. You see, wisdom must be shown in our deeds of faith. But that's not all. He also says that wisdom is shown in deeds of faith that are done in humility. They're done in meekness. We show our works in the meekness of wisdom. Now the word meekness here means mildness or gentleness and carries this idea of humility. James says that meekness goes hand in hand with wisdom. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have a wisdom that produces good works without meekness. In fact, we'll see throughout this passage that this is the main point of this text. Listen to me. It matters how we obey God's word. How we obey God's word is just as important as what we do. You see, true faith produces good works that are consistent with the character of Jesus Christ. And you know the crowning character of Christ in the scriptures? His glory is shown in his humility, in his meekness. So our obedience to God's word must, it's necessary. True faith that produces good works of obedience must display the fruit of humility. So when James says here that we show off or reveal our good works, he's not talking about being a show-off. We do not go around bragging to others about how much money we give to the church. We do not go around announcing on social media how glorious our devotion was this morning. Had an amazing time in the Word this morning, meditating from 1 John 2, how Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Hashtag soul food. Hashtag blessed. You see, in a day when we are bombarded with subscribe, likes, and tweets, the wise and understanding person obeys God's word in meekness. This is the humble servant who joyfully reads God's word and simply does what it says, not trying to be seen not trying to be noticed by others. This is the wise man who is motivated to obey Christ's commands out of his love for God and his love for others. You see, the meekness of wisdom can be summarized in the royal law to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourself. This Love for God and love for others is what should motivate us as we seek to humbly obey all of Christ's commands. So what does that look like for us? Grace Church, do you desire to grow in your obedience to the Lord? You want to be wise. You're hearing this and you're saying, I don't want to seek attention from others. 
So does that mean we should shy away from serving in public or serving up front? No. The issue is not whether or not you're being seen as you obey God's commands, but it is a matter of the heart. Meekness is less concerned about what people think and more concerned about their well-being. Meekness is less concerned about me and more concerned about God's glory and the good of others. In fact, it is often sinful pride that keeps many of us from serving. Friends, if you are motivated by fear of man, what should you do? Repent of your sin and seek the good of others. Remember that everything you have is a blood-bought gift from Jesus Christ. Pick up your cross every single day. Die to yourself and follow his example of serving others. Let this, the love of Christ, motivate whether motivate your obedience, whether it's in the secret prayer or private or public service. Let this be your motivation, whether it be in secret prayer or public service. So what does this look like? Let's give an example. Let's say you notice a brother or sister who regularly shows up late on Fridays. After several months, you think to yourself, I need to go confront this brother and impart some godly wisdom. So right after the service, you go up to him and say, Brother, why are you always late to church? You need to be a better steward of your time. Repent of your selfishness and your laziness. Now, you are right to obey God's word. And you are right to confront your brother. But when you confronted him, you lacked wisdom, meekness, and love. You sounded no more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what, what then does it look like to confront a brother in the meekness of wisdom? As the service ends, what do you do? Well, first, you examine yourself. You make sure that you do not have a log in your own eye as you seek to take the speck out of your brothers. Then you remember that salvation and sanctification is a gift of God's grace. You were dead in your sin, and you deserve the righteous wrath of God. But God was rich in mercy and love towards you in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. And just like your brother, you are learning to walk by faith. So you then pull him aside and you show him the same mercy that you have received. You say, brother, I know that you work long hours and you must be tired on Fridays. You know, I've noticed that you come here late to church often. Tell me, what's going on? And then you listen. You hear your brother. And as he shares his struggles, maybe he does struggle with laziness and selfishness. And as he shares those things, what do you do? You do call him to repentance. You humbly call him to repent. And you remind him of the gospel. You remind him of the hope he has in Christ. You then pray for him and ask if you can meet him again so that you can help this brother grow 
and godliness. Beloved, this is true wisdom that honors the Lord. So we must show our love for God and our love for one another in the meekness of wisdom. James teaches us that wisdom is revealed in humility. And number two, we see that he warns us that true wisdom is ruined by pride. Wisdom is ruined by pride. And we'll see this in verse 14 to 16. So look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now James is contrasting the meekness of wisdom with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So what does he mean by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? Well, bitter jealousy is the idea of bitter zeal or rivalry. The word for jealousy here is the same word that Paul uses to describe the divisions in the Corinthian church. These members who were quarreling over their leaders, who were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas. It is like the enmity between bitter rivals. Similarly, selfish ambition is this idea of someone who is always looking out to get ahead. He is consumed with himself. He's consumed with a passion to create a legacy for his name. He's only looking out for numero uno, number one. He's looking out for his own interest. Now, New Testament, Craig Bloomberg explains that this word pair, bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, creates the image of people in angry competition, undermining one another, and each fighting for their own rights. And is this not precisely what we see going on in this congregation? It seems that the pressures of suffering has led to fractures in the body. Members are showing partiality to the rich, and they're setting the, tongue on, the, the church on fire with their tongues. And where is all of this turmoil coming from? All this division and backbiting? James says, the heart. Did you see that in the text? He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. All of our sinful arguments spring up from the heart. Now, what should we do if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts? What does James tell us to do? Stop talking. Be quiet. He says, do not boast and be false to the truth. Stop defending your rights. Confess your sin. No matter how right you think you may be, your boasting is wrong. It's foolishness. As scholar Douglas Moo explains, if a person harbors bitter envy and selfish ambition in the heart, that person is, in effect, living a lie, claiming to be wise, but conducting himself in a way that denies that claim. Your bitterness, your pride, your ambition, it denies the very things that you claim to, to be. 
Friends, if you are harboring bitterness, pride, or covetousness in your hearts, stop boasting. Stop claiming to be right. Stop saying you are wise. Stop pretending that you are somehow mature in your faith. Humble yourself. And in the meekness of wisdom, confess your sin to God. Confess your pride or your bitterness to a brother or sister who can help you grow in humility and love. Ultimately, selfish ambition and bitter jealousy is not wisdom at all. So look again at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This is not the wisdom that comes down from God above. As James explained in chapter 1, every good and perfect gift is from God. But every instance of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it's earthly. It's unspiritual. And my friends, it is demonic. Here we see the classic triad of the world, the flesh, and the devil. So let's see, let's take these one at a time as we examine what false wisdom looks like. First, it is earthly or worldly wisdom. What does our world or our cultures say about selfish ambition? Follow that which will make you happy. To be merciful is God's, while to act is man's. A man's worth is no greater than his ambitions. Marcus Aurelius, keep away from those who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that, but the really great make you believe that you too can be great. Mark Twain, live your best life now. Pursue happiness. I am the captain of my soul. This is the wisdom of the world, and it is in direct opposition to the wisdom of God. Or think about the culture here. How many times have you been pressured to work longer hours because your boss thinks it's okay for you to neglect your family? It's okay, you don't have to go to church every week. But what does your family really need? And what do you really need? Your family needs your presence, your leadership, and your love. And you need to be fed weekly and to gather with the saints. Or how many of you feel pressure to take a loan so that you can appear successful to your family back home? They say, it's okay, take a loan. You, you work in the UAE, you can make that investment, you can help us buy that house, when instead... You should honor Christ and be a good steward of what you have. And maybe you should use whatever excess you have to give to those in need among us. Beloved, the world is always trying to steal our hearts and our affections. Every single day, whether you know it or not, you are being bombarded by the lies of this world. Friends, we must combat the wisdom of this world by humbly submitting our lives to the wisdom of God's Word. If you're struggling to trust God's Word and to obey it, 
you're struggling to believe the lies of this world, well, maybe you're anemic. Maybe you're not feeding on Christ's wisdom in the Word. James also says that this false wisdom is unspiritual or of the flesh. Not only is the world waging against our souls, but so is our flesh. And actually, if we be honest, we often give in to selfish ambition and bitter jealousy because deep down in our hearts, we love ourselves. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And when we don't get it, we act like a six-year-old child who throws a temper tantrum. You, you desire and you do not have. You covet and c- cannot obtain. Therefore, you look with disdain and hatred towards others who have the very thing that you want. Instead of walking in love, your heart is raging in jealousy and covetousness and idolatry. Maybe you even turn your back in anger against God for not giving the thing that you think you deserve. My friends, we must daily die, daily die to our sinful passions. And we must wage war against our flesh. We must take capped every single thought and we make it captive to Christ. And finally, James says that this false wisdom, this wisdom from below, is demonic. It's demonic. This is the same wisdom of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The serpent who whispered to Eve, Don't listen to God. His commands are harsh and unloving. Take the fruit. Be who you are destined to be. Be like God and take control of your life. Be the master of your soul. Friends, every lie we believe has its roots in the treachery of the serpent. The devil himself disregarded God's wisdom and sought to establish his own. But praise God that ancient serpent was defeated and his time is short. But friends, we must beware the lies of Satan. He is like a prowling lion seeking to devour someone. We must resist him and stand firm in the wisdom of Christ. We must beware the deadly danger of pride, the wisdom of the flesh, the wisdom of the world, and the wisdom of the devil. This false wisdom that promises life but will ultimately lead to your utter ruin and destruction in hell. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Friends, everywhere you find jealousy and selfish ambition, disorder is not far behind. The word disorder here can also mean upheaval or disturbance. It is likened to a revolution or a war that breaks out. And this is precisely what happens when we are ruled by jealousy or pride. Fights, disorder, and wars break out because we don't get what our hearts so desperately want. As James later explains in James 4, verse 1 to 2, he asks, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? 
Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. The selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in our hearts springs up into our lives and into our relationships and into our church, and it causes chaos, disorder, and war. And not only that, James says that it will lead to every vile or evil practice. Yes, every vile and evil practice. Think back. Was it not the envy of Eve that plunged all of humanity into sin? Or what about King David? When all the kings were at war, David went to his roof and saw something that his heart desired. He coveted another man's wife. So, what did he do? His sinful desires led him to take that which does not belong to him. And after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, David did not humbly confess his sin, but in his pride and his arrogance actually was led to more sin. He tried to cover up his sin by having her husband murdered in battle. One selfish desire led to adultery, murder, and every vile practice. Now friends, what would it look like if our church was not ruled by love, the love of Christ, but rather our church was ruled by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy? What would that look like? Well, first, we would see our leaders divided. We would see men using this pulpit to advance themselves. Week after week, sermon after sermon, would it be about me and my way and what I think is best? Sermons would turn into weapons of warfare to tear others down. At the same time, you would see other men clamoring for leadership, slandering and gossiping our elders behind their back. You would see factions of members saying, I follow Pastor Anun, or I follow Pastor Alex, or I follow Pastor Samson. You'd see members dividing along racial and economic lines, showing partiality to one another. You would have wealthy members holding the church captive to his or her agenda. You would see members drowning in debt as they chased after more toys or more women or more pleasures in this world. You would see the most needy among us disregarded and uncared for. You would see adultery and pornography wrecking havoc in our families. And you would see divorce after divorce as husbands neglect their wives and wives dishonor their husbands. Oh, my friends, may it never be. May we flee our sin. May we flee every inkling of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that arises in us. May we walk humbly in the meekness of wisdom. Brothers and sisters, even though this picture does not encapsulate who we are as a church, let me ask you, are there places where you are harboring selfish ambition or bitter jealousy?
Where's your pride or your lust or your idolatry leading you to sin? Are there any relationships at home, at work, or in this church that are on the brink of ruin? Beloved, we must be quick to humble ourselves, to repent of our sinful pride. Remember, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace. He gives more grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Walk in the wisdom that He provides in Christ. Lastly, we see that true wisdom reaps a harvest of righteousness. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Here James lays out the fruit of true wisdom. These are the characteristics of wisdom that come from the very character of God himself. So let's examine these quickly, one at a time. First, wisdom is pure. It seems that this characteristic summarizes and governs the rest of the list. Unlike the wicked fruit of worldly wisdom, God's wisdom is pure. It is without blemish or spot. It is blameless. Wisdom from above will produce holiness in every area of our lives. God's word changes us from within as we trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Friends, the only way to fight our sinful lust is to trust in God's wisdom. To really believe, to really believe that knowing Christ is better than any fleeting pleasure. Wisdom is also peaceable. Peaceable. This is the opposite of the chaos caused by bitter jealousy and ambition. We see that God's wisdom produces peace in our souls as we trust in Christ and peace with one another. It is also gentle. This word can also mean mild or forbearing. God's wisdom is like a gentle pillow that absorbs a harsh word and responds with kindness and love. It is a tenderness like that of a mother with her newborn baby. This is the fruit of God's wisdom in our lives as we seek to love, care, and even forgive one another in a spirit of gentleness. It is also open to reason. Wisdom from above produces in us hearts that are compliant to others. They're not combative or always needing to be right. This is a humility that is willing to listen to others and consider what they have to say. It is an eagerness to admit when you are wrong and a humble disagreement when you are right. Wisdom from above is also full of mercy and good fruits. Just like God has shown us mercy at the cross, we also walk in wisdom when we show mercy 
to one another. The more we understand the riches of Christ and the amazing mercy of the cross, the more we will be compassionate to others and bear fruit of genuine faith and love. Wisdom is also impartial. It does not show partiality to others. Rather, it welcomes everyone as we have first been welcomed in Christ. The fruit of wisdom produces unity in the body and a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ. And finally, wisdom from above is sincere. There is no hypocrisy here, but a genuine love for God and a genuine love for one another. This, my friends, is the wisdom that comes down from God. And what does it do? What does this wisdom produce in us? What is the result? When this wisdom is sown in our hearts by faith, wisdom from above will produce a harvest of righteousness. Look again at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When we walk in the meekness of wisdom, we are peacemakers. The raging war has ended. When we daily repent of our sin and humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, an amazing thing begins to happen. Our restless souls that always need more are calmed in the peace and comfort of God's presence. Our clamoring thoughts and passions are quieted. Our noisy relationships that are filled with bitterness and selfishness are silenced. When we walk in the wisdom of God, a harvest of righteousness is produced in us and through us. Friends, does your life And your relationships reflect the peace of God's wisdom. Now, if we are completely honest with ourselves, we see selfishness, jealousy, and pride wrecking havoc in our hearts and our relationships in some way. No matter what we do, we are stained by the sinful desires and lusts of the flesh. No one in this room can claim to be wise and understanding. In fact, there's only one man who is wise, who has ever walked the earth. When he was on earth, the crowds raged in bitterness and selfish ambition. As they raged against him, Jesus Christ showed or displayed the meekness of wisdom. He humbled himself in obedience to God to the point of death on a cross. When Jesus was betrayed by his own disciple, he did not lash out in bitterness. When he was placed in chains and brought to court in secret, he did not defend his own interests. When he stood before Pilate, 
he did not call down angels from heaven. When he was spit upon, slapped, lashed till his back was raw, he did not raise one single objection. When nails were thrust into each of his wrists and his feet, he did not envy others. He did not even envy the Father. But he submitted to God's wisdom at the cross as the pure and spotless Lamb of God. Jesus Christ considered our interests and he humbled himself on the cross. He humbled himself to the point of bearing God's wrath against our iniquity. But three days later, Jesus Christ rose victoriously from the dead and God exalted him as King of kings and Lord of lords. Our sinful pride wages war against God and all of us in this room deserve his righteous judgment. But by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God and peace with one another. It is only at the cross where we can boast and find perfect peace and true wisdom. My friends, your sin puts you at odds with Almighty God. Humble yourself, repent of your sins, and trust in the reconciliation that Christ provides. He calls all of us and says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Stop raging in the war of your pride and ambition and come to Christ. Repent of your sin. Trust in him, and you will receive rest for your souls. Beloved saints, our only boast is at the cross. And by faith in his finished work, we all, all of us, can walk in the meekness of wisdom. God will produce a harvest of righteousness as we humbly walk in obedience and faith. I want to illustrate this by sharing a story. A former pastor illustrates how our humble obedience, day after day after day, can produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives and the lives of others. If we want to see revival in our midst, we should walk humbly with our God. So, former pastor Ryan Fullerton shares a story that illustrates this harvest of righteousness that is produced in humble obedience. He said, this is a story about a guy named Simon Prevett, and it is a story told by a pastor who never, pa uh, who never pastored Simon Prevett. So this pastor, he went to a new church and started asking older members who had a spiritual influence on them, and every single person kept mentioning Simon Prevett. So this new pastor figured that Simon Prevett must have been a former pastor, but actually, he wasn't. In fact, 
He was an average layman with very average gifts and a very ordinary ministry as a member of this church. He would invite younger men over to his house and they would talk about Christ. But this very average man who had gone about living a wise, godly life yielded a harvest of righteousness. And the way that this was illustrated was that on one Sunday morning at this church where Simon Prevet used to be a member, he had since passed, the new pastor stood up and asked the congregation, how many of you were saved through Simon Prevet's ministry? Eight to ten older men stood up. Then the pastor asked, how many of you were saved through these eight to ten in the men's ministry? Then another 40 men stood up. Then the pastor asked, how many of you in the room were saved through these 40 men? And this new pastor said that everyone in a church of 400, except for 40 people, stood up. Through the simple obedience of one man, a harvest of righteousness was produced and 350 souls. This is what it means to be faithful, to walk humbly before our God, and to trust in Him to produce a harvest of righteousness in our life and the lives of others. Beloved, do you want to see revival break out in your soul? Do you want to see revival break out in our families and in our church and in our city? Then we must learn to walk in the meekness of wisdom. God takes our weak efforts as stay-at-home moms and hard-working dads and faithful spouses, and He produces a harvest of righteousness. We might plant a seed, we might water the seed, but it is God who gives the growth. God takes the smallest act of obedience done in faith and he produces oaks of righteousness in and through us. May God so do it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the one humble man who obeyed you every way and offered his life as a sacrifice for sinners. We thank you that we have hope to walk in obedience, in humility and love because of his righteous life and atoning death. We plead that you would help us to repent of our sin and to daily walk in the wisdom that you provide. Lord, we plead that you would move in our lives and move in our relationships and move in our midst, that you would save those who do not know you, that you would cause these seeds that have been planted to grow that you would produce revival in our church and in our city. We ask that you would receive all the glory for your precious Son. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.